Well, good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you this morning. Find Ephesians chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app there. So we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us. We're seeing today a growth of the idea that's been building for several weeks. So as you're finding it, let me just remind us of where we are. Chapters 1 through 3 is our identity in Christ. That's what we've just been singing about this morning. Ashley and the praise team has led us so beautifully and reminder through song of what we've been singing, that we were enemies of God, but by His grace, by His calling, by His adopting us, we are now His children. We are now seated at the table. We are brothers and sisters together seated at His table. She was just thinking about that we're rebels who now belong to Him. We've been redeemed. And so what a beautiful picture we've just heard in song of Ephesians 1 through 3 of our identity in Christ. But to remind you, when we hit Ephesians chapter 4, we hit a new section of the book. It begins by telling us to walk worthy of the calling we've received. This, this calling to be children of God, this calling that we have, that we now have a seat at the table. We're now told to walk worthy of that. If you remember, that means that we're to live out practically who God has said we are. Think of the scale and balance. Here's our identity in Christ. Now, by God's grace, not by our own effort, but by God's grace, we start living out who He has said we are. We're going to live out acting like brothers and sisters in Christ who are seated at His table. Now, there's a lot involved in walking worthy. What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling by which we have been called? And there's a lot that we're going to see in chapters 4, 5, and 6 about what that looks like. But it begins here with how we relate in the church. The church is so important to God that the very first thing of all the things that could be said about how you walk worthy of your calling, the very first place it starts is walking worthy in terms of our relationships in the church. Remember back to to the first few verses of chapter 4, we saw that involved a lot of our attitude towards one another. We were to have humility and gentleness and forbearing love and an eagerness for unity with one another. And then last week we saw that Paul kind of paused here and kind of answered the why question. Okay, you need to have this attitude towards one another, but why? And we saw last week the why was because it's God's calling on us, that God desires for us to be a unified body, that it's like a body that we're all to live interdependent lives. Now, where we pick up this morning in verse number 7, the thought is now growing. We've been told that to walk worthy by how we live together. He's told us the why question. Now, in verse 7, he picks up with the how question. How do you practically walk worthy by the way you love one another with humility and patience and forbearing love and unity? What does that actually look like? And he's going to actually build this thought. It's going to take us two weeks to cover this thought. So, if you will, this is kind of a two-part sermon this week. But here's the overarching idea I want you to see that covers both the two weeks, and that is this. How do we function together in the way that he's been laying out for us? is simply this. Every believer should actively be involved in strengthening the body of Christ. Here's the how. We've been told the why, because God has a plan for the church. We've been told what our attitude should be. Now the how of it, we do this by every believer, every single one of us. No exclusion. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, this is for you. We should be actively involved in strengthening the body of Christ. Friends, the plan for the church and what God lays out for us is very different than what happened in football stadiums across our state yesterday. The idea of thousands of people sitting in the stands watching a few coaches telling a handful of people what to do to try to make the team great, that may be great for football, that's not great for the church. God's plan for the church is radically different. It's every single person here, everyone who names the name of Christ, actively involved, working together to strengthen the body of Christ. It's His will for every single one of us. Now, it's going to take us two weeks to cover what that looks like because there's two ideas that are both really important I want us to see. So we're going to split up this idea into two weeks of how do we do this. And here's our main idea for today from verses 7 to 14. I want you to see one way we strengthen the body of Christ is by this. We must use our God-given gifts to glorify God by helping each other mature. 
We must use our God-given gifts. Every single one of us has spiritual gifts from God. And his plan for us is not for us to be spectators in the stands watching a few people do the works of ministry. His plan is for every single one of us to use the gifts that he has sovereignly given us to serve one another, to help each other mature in Christ's likeness, ultimately for the glory of God. We must use our God-given gifts to glorify God by helping each other mature. I want you to see that in the Word of God. So look in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse number 7. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. If you're visiting, the words will be on the screen, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that the church is your idea. Lord, the way you have brought us together is your idea. God, I pray today you might open our eyes through your word to better understand our role in the church. Would your calling is on every single one of our lives, not just for the church leadership, but every single one of us who names the name of Christ. So God, would you use your word to shape us and stretch us and challenge us and encourage us all at the same time today for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I want you to see from this text this morning that we must, it's not an option, we must use our God-given gifts to glorify God by helping each other mature. So now to begin with, I want to make sure we understand that if you are a follower of Christ, if you have embraced everything of chapter 1 through 3 of who we are in Christ, if you are seated at his table and adopted child of God, if that's true for you, then you have something we call spiritual gifts. Look back at verses 7 and 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You see how this text in these verses, the word grace, grace is receiving something we don't deserve, and gifts, which are something that has been given to us. It's one and the same idea here, that if you are in Christ, you obviously have saving grace, that he has called you himself, seated you at his table. You have sanctifying grace. He's growing you in godliness and in holiness. But you also have a grace gift, that he has given to you a spiritual gift or several spiritual gifts that you are to use for his purposes. What are spiritual gifts? They're a special ability that God has given you for ministry purposes to others. There is special ability that God has given to you as his child, as one seated at his table, that you are to use for his purposes, for ministry, if you will, to serve other people. It's not necessarily the same thing as a talent or skill. We know many people who are not followers of Jesus who have talents and skills. But this is particularly a special ability given to followers of Jesus for God's purposes. It's not something you do in your own strength. It's something that is dependent upon him and upon his strength. Now, what are those spiritual gifts? He only mentions here that Christ gave gifts to us. He doesn't elaborate much here. And so you have to look at a number of places. There's about five different places in Scripture that list what the different spiritual gifts are. 
Now, we're going to read through those quickly on the screen this morning. I don't have time to elaborate on every single one of those, but I'll be glad to get a cup of coffee with you and talk more if you have a question about one of the spiritual gifts. But let's start in verse 11 of our text today. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. You see some callings there that are also tied in with spiritual gifts. But look up on the screen. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, tell us some what other spiritual gifts are. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What are some of these gifts? In prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Verse 7. In service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. Then verse 8. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. You see a wide variety of gifts mentioned there. You also see them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit, these are God-given gifts, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Then in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. There are different spiritual gifts that are done in His strength as He has chosen to give them to you for His purposes. You also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 as well. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. And one last one, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Then in verse 11, he lists a few fours. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Again, we could spend weeks talking about what different spiritual gifts are, but it's a wide variety from administration, serving, teaching, giving, mercy, leadership, faith. On and on we could go are differing gifts that God has given to his children for building up his kingdom. Now, just two words of clarification here that we need to understand about spiritual gifts. Number one, just because something is not your spiritual gift doesn't mean you're off the hook from doing it. Okay? Gifts are special abilities God has given to particular people to do something in a special way for his body. So some people have the gift of mercy. That is not my spiritual gift. If you've been around me long, you know that mercy is not my strong point. But that doesn't mean I can be like, okay, good. That is for Mike Mertz. He has got the gift of mercy. I'm going to let Mike handle all the mercy in the body, and I'm not going to do that. No. Scripture's clear that we're blessed are the merciful. Like, I am called, though. That's not my gift. I'm still to be involved in showing mercy. But some people in the body are especially gifted for doing that. Same thing, you have the gift of the evangelist. Some people who are especially gifted at sharing Christ in such a way that other people come to faith in Christ. If that's not your gift, you're not like, I'm off the hook. I never have to talk about Jesus with others. We're all called to do evangelism. Some people are especially gifted for it. So just because it's not your gift doesn't mean you don't have to do it. Now, even more importantly, I want you to understand, you have the gifts you have by God's design. Look back in verse number 7 of our text this morning of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to your chance happenings. According to your background, according to your, how your parents parented you. No, it's according to here in verse number 7, according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means according to coming from Christ. That means that he has sovereignly determined before time even began, before you were even born, he had already decided what spiritual gifts he was going to choose to give to you. Thereby his design and his love for his glory 
and his love for the church and in his love for you, he before time began decided that you would have a certain set of gifts that you were to use for his purposes. But realize as well, this the measure of Christ. Not only is it coming from Christ, friends, but it's an extension of his character. And this is absolutely amazing that we who are his enemies now seated at his table, he now works through us, extending his character out to others. He is the one who perfectly leads. And so when he gives some people a gift of leadership, he is working through them to lead the body. He is the one who is perfectly merciful. And when he gives people a gift of mercy, he's working through their mercy. It's an extension of his character for the good of his church, for the building up of his kingdom. You have the gifts you have by God's design. But friends, that furthermore means that you have to use them. It is not optional. This is not like for a second-tier Christians, for super-Christians. This is his plan for every single believer. We must use our God-given gifts. Look at verses 8 through 10, back in Ephesians 4 this morning. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, what in the world does that mean? And how does that have anything to do with we need to use our spiritual gifts? Well, what Paul is doing here is he's quoting from a psalm. You may see some of your Bibles may have indented that text in verse 8. That's a quote from Psalm number 68. We're not going to read all of it today. I'd encourage you to read it when you get home later. It's a beautiful psalm. But what is going on in Psalm 68? In Psalm 68, you have an image of God marching before his people. Think of the Old Testament. God's people have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. You have the Exodus where God delivers them, that God marches before them as the one who's leading them, the king who's leading them out of Egypt. And so Psalm 68 is an image of God the king delivering his people, walking ahead of his people as he delivers them. As the psalm progresses, you end up at Mount Sinai, where God gave the law, the Ten Commandments. And you have literally the ground shaking in the presence of God. So this king who has led his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, is now the ground is shaking because he's there at Mount Sinai. As psalm 68 continues, you have the image now of, of pagan kings fleeing before God, that God is so victorious that the, the nations are trembling and that people are running from him. But as Psalm 68 builds to where we get to the verses quoted here, is God now, after delivering his people, sets his sight on Zion, on heaven, on the eternal kingdom. And he begins to start moving towards the eternal kingdom with his chariots, with his forces, with his armies. And so you have this picture, this image in Psalm 68 of God being the victorious king who won the battle. And when a king is victorious, what does he have the right to do? He has a right to divide the spoils however he sees fit. What Paul's doing by quoting Psalm 68 is showing us that God is a sovereign, victorious king. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. So again, picture the king marching forward, having defeated all the foes, the enemies. God's defeated Satan. He's defeated death. He's defeated, defeated sin. And he's marching forward, and he now gives gifts to men. He gives gifts to his people as the victorious king. How did he win? How is he victorious? Well, that was verse 10 for us here. He who descended is the one who also ascended. What's the descent? That's the incarnation. That's Emmanuel, God with us. What we'll celebrate at Christmas in a few months. That he descended. Jesus laid aside all the glories of heaven and came as a baby. He came wrapped in human flesh. And he came and he lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law we could not fulfill. That's his descent. But then he won. He was victorious because he went to the cross He took on the sin that we have. He took on the wrath that we should experience. He bore it himself. He died in our place. He rose victorious. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And he is now the reigning king who has now ascended back 
to heaven. He is the one who is victorious. And as the victorious sovereign king, he can do what he wants. And as a sovereign king who won, he has chosen to give gifts to men. So this is all an image for us that Paul is doing from Psalm 68 here to say, God has given you gifts. He's the one who's the sovereign king. He's the ruler. We're not. And so he has decided how they're going to be distributed. And he requires us to use them. And friends, that's a really sobering thought that we are required to use the gifts he has given us. Would you see 1 Peter 4.10? We're going to put it back up on the screen for you. We read this a few minutes ago, so we're quickly going through the gifts. But notice this. As each has received a gift, use it. Like This is not an optional thing. This is, again, not just for the pastors, not just for the missionaries. This is for every follower of Christ. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Now think about it. Stewardship means we'll give an account for something. When someone stewards you with something... You'll give an account to them of the stewardship. God has given you in his sovereign plan spiritual gifts, and he will require you to give an account of how you have stewarded them. We must, friends, use our God-given gifts. But what do we use them for? Well, 1 Peter 4.10 tells us to serve one another. Our spiritual gifts are not there so I feel good about myself and you feel good about yourself. Our spiritual gifts are not there to build up our self-identity and confidence. Our spiritual gifts are there to serve one another for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the church and God's kingdom. There's even a higher calling than that. And don't miss this. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 4 tells us that whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves. By the strength God supplies in order that in everything, God may be what? God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Sounds like a theme of scripture, doesn't it? I saw in Ephesians earlier, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Now your spiritual gifts are given to you to serve other people, not that, that, that to be the ultimate goal, but ultimate goal being for God to be glorified. Now, how does God get glory when we use our spiritual gifts to serve one another? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 now and verse 12 as we pick back up with our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. To equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up, the body of Christ. Think about this. The church is the place that God has ordained to show his wisdom to the world, his wisdom to even angels looking on. It's a place he's chosen to show his glory. He loves the church that much. And so how does he get glory when we use our spiritual gifts? Because our spiritual gifts, as we exercise them, build up the body, build up the church, and that brings great glory to God. It grows us. Notice there in verse number 12, this idea of building up of growing, of strengthening, of maturing the body. And in fact, that's what Paul is going to tell us here. So think about this as you look at his image. Picture in your mind the most immature child you know. Now, don't tell us who that is, okay? Don't offend anyone. But but picture in your mind the most immature child you know, okay? Now, contrast that. Picture in your mind the most mature adult that you know, spiritually mature adult that you know. And don't say it out loud so you don't get anyone's head puffed up here, okay? So you've got the contrast in your mind between an immature child and a mature adult. How does an immature child become a mature adult? Does it just happen that way? No, it's because a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, someone invests in that child's life and shapes that child so that child begins to mature to adulthood. That's the picture Paul wants us to have in mind here when he talks about maturing as a church. Now with that in mind, look at verse number 14 today so that we may no longer be, that means that's kind of our default where we start, we may no longer be children, think of that immature child in your mind again, we may, no, we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, unstable, carried about by every wind of doctrine, that's unstable what we believe, 
by human cunning, that's us being deceived and led astray, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, that's us falling into temptation and sin. He's saying that's not how the church is to be. The church, believers, you're not to be immature like that, swayed easily, falling into sin. What instead is the plan for the church? Go back a verse now, backwards to verse number 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. I hope that sounds familiar because that's what he's just been telling us in recent weeks of the unity of the church, but a unity in certain beliefs. So instead of being immature, we're to be unified. And then he goes on to describe that as to mature manhood. And what does mature manhood look like? He tells us in that last phrase of verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That just simply means to Christ's likeness, to holiness. What does mature Christianity look like? Us, that, that balance of here's my identity in Christ. Now, I, by God's grace, I'm living it out. That is spiritual maturity, us looking more and more like Christ. So what takes us from verse 14, being immature children, deceived, tossed about, to verse 13, being unified in our beliefs and being Christ-like? What makes a difference between verse 14 and verse 13? How do we get from childhood immaturity to spiritual maturity? The answer is, go back one more verse to verse number 12. To equip the saints, all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Just like an immature child only becomes mature as an adult when someone teaches that child and shows them the way and lives alongside that child and sets an example and corrects them in love and does all the things a parent or a teacher or a grandparent does to help someone mature, the same is true in the church. If we're going to move from spiritual immaturity to Christ's likeness, we need one another to do that for each other. Friends, look around the room for just a minute. But look around, get a lot of faces. Everyone you just looked at is God's grace gift to you to help you grow in godliness. Everyone you just saw is by God's design here to help you become more Christ-like. For that scale, that balance, for your calling is here, your identity is here. Now, by God's grace, you're going to live it out. One of these, everyone you just looked at is here by God's grace to help you do that. Now, look around the room again. Get a, get a bunch of faces. Look around the room. It's okay. Just move your head. Look around. You are God's grace gift to help everyone you just saw mature in Christ's likeness also. God has put you here not by accident, but to help one another mature in Christ's likeness. You are God's grace gift. We all are God's grace gift to one another to help each other grow in Christ's likeness. Friends, God has put us together for a reason, and we must use our spiritual gifts to help each other grow in godliness. Now, there's several important implications of that truth. If God has given us spiritual gifts... And we're to use them as a grace gift to one another to help each other mature. There's several important truths that I could mention. There's a lot I could mention. I'm going to mention four this morning before we close of important applications, lessons, if you will, from this truth. Number one, it means that you are important to God and to his church. You are important to God and to his church. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to some of you. No, grace was given to who? Each one of us. If you have experienced Ephesians 1 through 3, if you are a child of God seated at his table, then you have not only saving grace, not only sanctifying grace, you have a spiritual gift grace, if you will, to help you grow. Each one of us, grace has been given to us. That means God has chosen us not only for salvation, but also to serve one another in the body. You are important to God and to his church. Friends, if you do not use your spiritual gifts in the body, there will be a void here. Because God put you here in a sovereign plan for a reason to use the particular gifts he sovereignly gave you to build up everyone you just looked at just a minute ago. And if you choose not to use those gifts, that leaves a void in the body because God has put you here for a reason. You're important to God and to his church, number one. Second of all, there's a warning here. Do not covet 
other people's gifts. Do not covet other people's gifts. Again, verse 7 here for us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Friends, God is sovereign. That means he's in full control over creation. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over the particular spiritual gifts that you have. You have the gifts you have by his design. And so trust him. He is a good father. And he gave you the gifts he gave you for his glory, for the good of the church, and for your good as well because he loves you. They're not some gifts that are more important than others. All the gifts are needed in the body. And no one has all the spiritual gifts. So if you don't, so it's not like, oh man, I wish I had the gift of mercy instead of the gift of teaching. Or man, I wish I had the gift of teaching instead of the gift of encouragement. No, be thankful what God has given you is for his reason. He knows what's best. So you're important to God in his church. Number two, do not covet other gifts. Be, be thankful and trust him for what you have. But number three, do not expect others to have the same gifts you have. Do not expect others to have the same gifts you have. Friends, we've been talking a lot about the unity of the church and how we're unified. Last we saw that we're unified in our beliefs about God and we're unified in our submission to Christ as Lord, that we're unified in our desire for community, we're unified in making our faith public, and all that is true. But that unity also means there's diversity in our gifts. We're unified in using our gifts, but there are diverse gifts, and no one has all the gifts, and we do not all have the same gifts. It's one of the great dangers I've seen in evangelical churches over the years, in churches for the most part that are fairly united. It's something I call gift projection, where you expect other people to operate with the same spiritual gifts you operate. You expect other people to see things like you see things through the lens of your own gift. And when, you, when people don't operate the same way you operate because they're different by God's design, you get frustrated and division comes into the church. I can see it happening in different ways. Someone who has a gift of mercy, and they're just, they, they just want to be merciful to everyone, which is, is needed to people. And you have people in the church with the gift of mercy, but you also have people in the church with the gift of prophecy. By that, I mean the ability to speak everything's right and wrong and willing to speak in the situations. I've seen division happen when the person with the gift of mercy looks at the person with a more prophetic gift and goes, I don't know why they can't be merciful. Why do they always have to say, that person's sinning, that person's not doing right. That person, you know, there's division happening there. Or the person with a more prophetic gift is like, why is that person so merciful? They're enabling sin. Why don't they just tell them like it is? There's different gifts in the body. We see that happening. There's people with the gifts of teaching who can look upon someone with the gift of hospitality and be like, well, man, they open their home every week, but why don't they ever teach the people who come over? The person that gets to hospitality be like, man, why don't they ever open up their home? All they do is just talk, 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 talk all the time. You have this division that starts happening within the body. You have people who have the gift of discernment who can look at people and go, that's where they're struggling. That's where their sin is. And they get mad at the person with the gift of encouragement of, man, why are they still enabling that sin? Why are they still encouraging? They just need to tell them like it is. Friends, we... The reality is we all have different gifts by God's design. And we must value those gifts, but more importantly, we must work together. Instead of getting mad at the person who has the gift of encouragement when you have the gift of prophecy, instead of getting mad at the person with the gift of hospitality when you have the gift of teaching, let's work together. And let's see what happens when the person with the prophetic gifts gets paired up with the person with the gift of mercy who gets put in the house of someone with the gift of hospitality, and you throw a teacher in their midst. And let's see what happens when God puts those gifts together. But friends, if we're not careful because our gifts shape how we see things. Division has come to churches. I've seen it over and over again. Division has come between friends because they look at the other person and go, I don't understand why they're, and then fill in the blank because they're exercising their gifts differently than you do. Friends, we're a body and we're, we're one body unified but with different gifts by God's design. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. We saw this last week, but it's important. But as it is, God arranged the members. 
That means God took the gift of mercy person, the gift of prophecy person, the gift of teaching person, the gift of hospitality person, and the gift of the administration person who wants to organize it all, and he put them all together in the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 19. If all were a single member, Paul said, if all had the gift of mercy like you had, or if all was a teacher like you may be, or if all had the gift of hospitality like you had, if all was the evangelist, where would the body be? Verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So several lessons for us. Number one, you are important to God and his church. Use the gifts he's given you. Number two, do not cover other people's gifts. You have the gifts you have by God's design. But number three, do not do gift projection. Show lots and lots and lots of grace to people who have a different gift mix than you have so that together we can work together to, to, for the kingdom to advance. But the last one is really cool. Number four here, especially if you're not sure what your gifts are, if you're struggling to use your gifts. Number four for our list today is you can grow and learning how to use your spiritual gifts. You can grow in learning how to use your spiritual gifts. Look back in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip means to train and to help. Friends, God's telling us here in Ephesians 4 that we must use our gifts to glorify him as we help each other mature but he's not leaving us on our own to do that. He's not like, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. You have to have a good stewardship of your spiritual gifts. Now, go figure them out on your own. Go get them. No. He's saying, you have to use your gifts for the good of the kingdom, for my glory. And I'm going to put people in your midst who can help you with this if you need help with this. Verse 11 and 12 again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds or pastor teachers to equip, to help, to train the saints for the work of ministry. Friends, God has ordained it to where there's people here who can help you grow in your gifts. And we all need to grow in our gifts. None of us have arrived in our spiritual gifts. Friends, one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. I'm passionate about it. I love doing it. But I've had to grow in that, and I am still growing in that. If you had heard the very first Sunday school class I ever taught when I started seminary, y'all would never have called me as your pastor. It was, I think, 27, 28 points, something like that. And if you thought I taught fast now, you should have heard me 10 years ago. I literally had a whole massive whiteboard filled up with, like, number one, A, one, two, three, sub A, sub B, sub... I mean, it was like 28 ridiculous points. And I had a brother in Christ who was a pastor over me. He pulled me aside and said, hey, hey man, I know you love teaching, but that's not going to communicate. <laughs> and I'm grateful for it. He's the same guy who came on the and was like, they're not going to understand a word you're saying. You've got to slow it down or not. You know, we have to grow in our spiritual gifts, friends. If you have a gift of mercy, that doesn't mean you just go show mercy everywhere. God can give you wisdom. There's people who can help you refine that. If you have a gift of hospitality, there's people here who can help you understand how to use hospitality for the kingdom. Friends, we all need to grow in our exercise of our spiritual gifts. And there's people here at Gateway who can help you with that. There are, as you look back in verse 11 here, there are evangelists within our church. These are people who are especially gifted at sharing Christ with other people. You're going, man, I have this burden to share Jesus, and I think I'm okay at it, but I need to grow in it. Friends, there are people here who can help you with that. If you want to figure out how to share, share Jesus with children, come see Savannah down here. She's an evangelist to children, and she can help train you in that. If you want to understand how to share Jesus throughout the city through benevolent situations, go find Lenny Dixon, and he can not only do evangelism, he can equip you to do evangelism. If you want to understand how to share Jesus with people who are from different backgrounds, see Lisa Rose or John Weibel, because they're a gifted evangelists with a mixed-tech Hispanic community here. Friends, God has put within our church... And there's others beyond this, people who are evangelists, not just so we can be like, yay, we have people from Gateway sharing Jesus in the community, but to help equip us with those things. So if one of your gifts is evangelism, but you need to grow in it, even if it's not your gift and you just want to grow in it for obedience, there's people here who can help you with that. 
But notice the last phrase of verse 11. The shepherds and teachers. Some of your translations say the pastors and teacher. The word pastor literally means to shepherd, which is a great image of what pastors are supposed to be doing. And that's shepherding. The job of the pastors of Gateway, the whole elder team, because we're the pastors of Gateway, is to shepherd the body. And that means if you need help growing in your spiritual gifts, if you're like, I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are, you have a team of 10 men here at the church who are our elder team, our pastors and elders here at the church, who can help you with that. If you're not sure what your gifts are, contact one of us. If you want to grow in your gifts, contact one of us. If you want accountability in your gifts, contact one of us. God has given the pastors, the shepherd teachers to the church. Look at verse 12. Why? Why do we have evangelists and why do we have shepherds and teachers here? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Big picture of reason, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Friends, this unity we've been talking about means that you and I are to be actively involved, not sitting back as spectators in the football game. We're to be actively involved in strengthening the church and strengthening the body of Christ. One of two aspects of that, we'll get to the other one next week, which has a lot to do with our speech, but the first aspect today is we need to use our God-given gifts to help each other mature. That means I need you as much as you need me. We all need each other. We're in this together. God has sovereignly put together this body with these gifts for a reason, and we need each other for that. We must be using our God-given gifts to glorify God by helping each other mature. So I want to ask you, friends, as we close. First of all, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If not, you may never have heard them before. Go back to this text I read earlier. If you want me to, I can, I'll be happy to send them to you, or one of us on the elder team can sit down with you. But read through those. And just begin to ask God, God, show me what my spiritual gifts are. But, you know, as you think about it, talk to some of your friends. Because the best way to discern spiritual gifts it's not some mystical way of just reading and waiting for some impression or something. It's not to even fill out a questionnaire. I'm not sure those are very helpful. I've done spiritual gift surveys over the year, and I read a question. Would you rather stop and help the homeless person or teach the Bible in a group setting? I wonder which one I want to choose here. You know, you kind of start figuring out the answers as you read them. The, the, the inventories are not super, super helpful. The best way to figure out your gifts, start serving and see what God blesses. Just start doing something and see what God blesses. Just go out with Lenny sometime or go out with Savannah and start talking about Jesus with people and see if God blesses that. Start getting a few friends together and do a Bible study. See if God blesses that. Start just serving in ways behind the scenes. See if God blesses that. Just start serving and see where God blesses. Or ask the people who know you best. Your Sunday school teacher, one of the elders you know well, one of the deacons you know well, your family, your friends, say, hey, what do you see God doing through me? Where am I most gifted to serve? And let them speak into the process. Discover your spiritual gifts. And if you're not sure this week, read over those texts, pray, and ask the people around you. But second of all, I want to challenge you. If you know what your spiritual gifts are, are you using them? Remember that First Peter 4 text that we will give an account and that we're to be good stewards of it? Friends, I'm not asking, did you use your spiritual gifts two years ago in Bible school? Or did you use your spiritual gifts last year on an evangelism project? But are you using your spiritual gifts now. God has given them to you for a reason, for building up his body. Are you using them for his glory by helping one another mature? If not, would your prayer this week be, God, would you show me some way I can step out this week and use the gifts you've given me for your glory by helping someone else? And let's just see what God does as we humbly submit ourselves to him and say, Lord, here am I. Use me as you see fit. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you continue to show us who you are and what it means to follow you. And so, God, I pray today for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that you would give us a greater sense of awe at the fact that you have called us to yourself and that, God, that you have gifted us. God, you didn't save us to leave us on the sidelines just so we don't go to hell. 
God, you have saved us because you want to glorify yourself through us. You've given us a seat at your table, God, because you want to work through us to build up your church to advance your kingdom so that your body is strengthened. God, would we come away today with a greater sense of awe that you have chosen us not just for salvation, but you have chosen to use us for the strength of of your church that you love so dearly. And God, I pray for each of these precious brothers and sisters, God, that if they know what their spiritual gifts are, God, would you encourage them today in that? They'd be encouraged knowing that you have given them these gifts by your design. And would you stir in their heart a hunger and eagerness that cannot be quenched to want to use those gifts for your glory? Lord, if there are brothers and sisters here who aren't even sure what their gifts are, I remember a time in my life when I didn't really even understand what my gifts were, Lord, I pray that today you would just give them a hunger to discover that. That through prayer, through reading your scripture about gifts, through asking friends how they see you working through them, God, that you would begin to shape them and clarify for them what you've put them in the church for, what you've put them here to do. And God, would you give them that clarity and that direction so they have a sense of purpose and direction they can run after to seek to bring you glory by building up your body. Lord, in all this, Lord, our desire is that you would be glorified. God, we've sung it over and over again today, and it's such a good truth we write up. Lord, you are worthy of it all. God, you're worthy of us studying your word. You're worthy of us singing praises to you. God, you're worthy of us living holy lives before you. God, you are worthy of us serving your body to build up the church for your glory because you are worthy of it all. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us realize how the gospel changes our daily lives. And this week would be a people who are faithful to that. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?